1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden,
0: Colorado. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in and deep satisfaction out. Ah.
2: <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Well, they walked into Madrid with hope in their hearts, and they'll walk away with the greatest prize in club football. Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool's king to the cop are champions of Europe once again. Ooh. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Cop and Fracast, proudly part of the Touchline Fracas Network. I am your host Christian and this week we are uh, thankful to have another special guest. Please welcome Chris Williams. Hello. How are you doing Chris? <laughs> yeah, good thanks. Yeah, very good. <laughs> oh brilliant. I'm also joined this week by Mark. Yo, what's good, what's good. How's everyone doing? All good, all good fun. Um, I'm also joined by Joe. Um, all good, giving us a thumbs up there. Um, I'm also, and finally, I'm joined by Peter.
3: Hello, everyone. What's good? What's good? I'm happy to be here as always.
2: Oh, good to have you on. Uh, so Chris, um, we've got a few questions for you. Um, yeah. uh, thank you for having you on. So, Peter, I don't know if you want to leave us off with uh, yeah,
3: so I'll just start. Um, basically, just because where um, I've like studied journalism, so. I've got, quite, I've got a background in it. Um, I studied sports journalism as a degree. I graduated that last year. What's your, is your background similar to me, or how did you get into journalism and covering sports and, yeah, and sports in Germany and football?
4: No, you are way more qualified than me because um, I've not got a degree in journalism. So <laughs> I started, uh, we're going to show me AJ, I started way back in the uh, mid-90s before the internet was even a thing. I did music wow. journalism um, when I was back home in Liverpool at the time. I did that for two, three years, Um, but there was no internet. So you either worked at a newspaper or you didn't work. That's pretty much it. So went different career path um, and then came back to it in about 2010 um, and then went properly into it 2016, 2015. Um, uh, And yeah, I've been very lucky to meet the right people at the right time. Uh, I'm fully qualified journalist. I studied journalism in in college Um, but i don't have a degree in it uh, but uh, now through working for different companies etc i've got all the press passes and accreditations needed to cover football which is obviously um uh, something that's really good because i was able to take a hobby into a profession
2: that is awesome um yeah, I think the music part of that was quite interesting. So, who did you primarily cover back in the uh, back in the nineties? Anyone? Exciting? Oh, so
4: yeah, there was just an explosion of music. So there was all like guitar bands, Shed Seven, um, Oasis, Blur, um, Cast, The Farm. Obviously, living in the northwest, there was loads of bands. And then it was just at that time when um, super clubs were exploding. So. There was uh, Paul Oakenfold at Cream, but there was Gate Crasher. So yeah, there was, there was quite a lot of stuff. It's quite cool because he just used to flash my press card and get him for free, which was pretty cool. Um, but, but I still had to do some work for it. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a nice time. Probably couldn't do it again. I'm too old now. Don't have the hair. I used to have a good mop of hair as well. Don't have that anymore. So
2: <laughs> so how do, find, how do you find the difference between um, obviously being a Liverpool fan, covering um, Bundesliga as opposed to covering Premier League?
4: Um, yeah, so it allows me to cover it, um, I would say, um, it allows me to cover it fairly. So I don't have any preconceptions. I do I do cover Liverpool. Um, I was assigned Jürgen Klopp's German, an ex-Bundesliga coach. So I was assigned Jürgen Klopp's journey at Liverpool once he arrived. So that was a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Um, but it just allows me to be um, more objective when I'm looking at two teams play. I, I do... I do have a couple of teams I like. So I really like watching Dortmund, and, and I love the club, and I love the city, and I love the people. It's a really nice area in Germany, and but I also like uh, Union Berlin. I like going to Berlin. It's such a such a mix of all different nations and cultures. It's probably one of my favourite cities on earth. Um, so I do like to be able to to cover those teams, but I can do it. Um, I can do it objectively. If they get beat four nil, doesn't really bother me. But for instance, when I went to the Atletico Madrid Liverpool game, both legs. I had to cover that objectively, but inside, obviously, I'm fuming. But, you know, you can't, <laughs> you've can not you got to report on it fairly. You can't let your emotions get in the way. And I think that's probably the only issue I have if, I, if I'm covering Liverpool. You, especially with the time balance. So if I'm doing a match report, it needs to be out inside five minutes after the final whistle. So you've got to write your thoughts as you go. And I think, I suppose, it lets you um, process them. And I, I find that since I've been writing about Liverpool, um, I no longer have any problems. Should they get beat, which is a very rare thing these days anyway, but mm-hmm. um, if they do get beat, I, I've got most of my frustrations out and then edited it so it sounds a, a lot nicer. Yeah. So
2: how um, how much of a, a downer, I guess, is kind of like a late, a, a, obviously doing your match report. You've got to have that written up by about what 85th, 90th minute, kind of the outline and what you what you want to talk about. So how kind of devastating is a last minute winner or a last minute <laughs> equaliser in regards to that?
4: Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's not too bad, actually, because you start to process your report as you go through. So the very last things to write is the introduction paragraph and the conclusion paragraph, the body of it, pretty much writes itself. So you'll have maybe 250 words on the first half, 250 words on the second half. And then the only thing you need to change is the, the first and last paragraph should there be an early or late goal. Um, however, if it's a real dull nil-nil, and this has happened in Germany where it's been a nil-nil and it's ended 3-3, in the 97th minute, that can be a bit of a problem. But um, but I'd, I'd never complain about it because I get to sit and watch football and get
3: paid for it. So it's a joy. I was trying uh, to ask a question. Why did you choose um, like the Bundesliga and not the Premier League to cover on? Or was it just a chance? Or how did you end up working on Bundesliga?
4: Yeah, yeah it's a great question. So um, show me age again. So years and years ago when Sky first started, there was only, I think, three channels. It was Sky Movies, Sky Sport and Sky News. That was it. And it used to be on the same satellite as Italian television, French television. Um, and there used to be a channel in Germany called DSF. And they used to broadcast live games on three o'clock. So it was an easy way of watching um, live football, um, obviously, because you, you can't watch three o'clock uh, in this country, or the UK, sorry. You can't watch three o'clock live. You know, people get it all around the world. But um, in the UK, there's a 3pm blackout. So if I wasn't at the match watching Liverpool, because I only lived around the corner at the time, if they were away. And I had not gone to that away match. I could watch German football. So, it just sort of stuck with there. And I think the Premier League is such a saturated area for coverage. I mean, yeah, not just in, not just in the UK, but I mean, I, I know people from, I've met people from all over the globe, online or in person that cover Liverpool from like the smallest countries in the world to the biggest countries in the world. Everybody's got an opinion, which is absolutely fantastic. No problem with it whatsoever, but it does make the marketplace a bit crowded. So, yeah. Um, I had a passion in German football, so just specialized in it really.
2: Oh, awesome! I think just want, just want to touch back on the point you made about um mm. one of your favorite teams being Dortmund and how eloquently you spoke about kind of the football club and the people in, in the city. Do you see a, a similarity between uh Liverpool and Dortmund uh, in terms of the place and the football club?
4: Yeah, I mean. Yes, that would be an easy thing to say, but um, it's reflective of anywhere. So, you know, Dortmund's a working-class area um, and Dortmund's a working-class club, so it doesn't matter if you're from Liverpool or you're from London or you're from Birmingham or you're from Manchester. You know, if you're from a a big city and and you're used to going out and, and working hard nine to five, Monday to Friday, and you just want to let off steam by watching a little bit of football, that's pretty much that whole area of Germany. So, you know, you can include Cologne, Schalke, Leverkusen. You know, it's know, it's an industrial heartland area. So, um, yeah, but the the I always found that Dortmund fans uh, are really nice and, and really welcoming. So when I go over, I don't just go, I don't just land, go to the stadium and go home. I normally spend a night there and I'll go to the, I'll get there to the stadium early, speak to fans outside, get a feeling how they're thinking about the days going. There's a lovely pub, which turns into a nightclub that's attached to the stadium. Um, I go in there before and after the match. Um, or before and after a finished work, I should say, probably working till about an hour and a half after a full-time whistle. Um, but the pub's still packed when you go in and the people are always welcoming. And the only problem is, is everybody wants to test their English, so my German's not improving that much because <laughs> um, people <laughs> can soon pick up on my accent that I'm not German and, and they want to test their English. So that's, that's the only downside, I think, about it.
1: Seeing that you have been around Dortmund so much, do you feel that like Klopp has been able to replicate the same culture that he had at Dortmund
4: at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, but Dortmund are um, are a, historically a good side. They've won the Bundesliga, they've won the Champions League um, just before the turn of the century. They've won the DFB Pokal, German FA Cup, a lot as well on a number of times, and uh, the old Super Cup. They they do well in Europe, season in, season out. But Jürgen Klopp took them from occasionals to you know back to back. Winners, double winners, Champions League finalists, the first time they'd had it in the in the new century. Um, and he brought a winning mentality. And everything he's done at Liverpool, he did at Bruce Dortmund. And to be fair to him, he did at Mainz before that as well. He mm. you know, took them up the division. Okay, they got relegated, but he took... Mainz was an area that really didn't care about football. Very small town. Football team was just something that happened. And after he left, like everybody in Mainz was a football fan after that. So... Um, yeah, he did turn the city around, he turned Dortmund around and obviously what he's done at Liverpool, taking Liverpool from, I wouldn't even say they were nearly men at times, had a really good season under Brendan Rodgers, but he's turned them into world and European champions and he can't ask any more than that. And I think that's a real problem for Dortmund because his ghost haunts that club and will do until they can find a manager who can replace him and unfortunately
1: for them, they haven't been able to do that. So two quick questions on the back of that. What do you think Jurgen Klopp's next step is, this is basically a straightforward answer, but what do you think Jurgen Klopp's next step is with Liverpool? How did he increase our global presence? What did he do moving forward? And also, what do you feel like we should do to not be in the Dortmund shadow in terms of Jurgen Klopp leaving and us having that void to fill?
4: Yeah, I don't even want to think about Jürgen Klopp leaving. can always make me cry <laughs> or bang my head in frustration. Um, but, yeah. and, I do, and I do that because I've seen what's happened to Dortmund and, it, and it's almost, it would be like watching a car crash happen in slow motion for me. Um, and I'd hate it because obviously Liverpool's my club. So, I mean, what can he do? He does what he does very well. He reinvents his side. So, I mean, God forbid, if, if just to say we were to get rid of um, the front three, the Firmino, Salah, let's just say they all left at the same time. I would have no, um, I'd have no worries that Jürgen Klopp would be able to rebuild that front three. Um, so he does that, he rebuilds, he, he will take a club through an evolution. Although he's got the spine now for that Team to work for the next six, seven, eight seasons, potentially, especially with the youth players like Alexander Arnold and Curtis Jones, etc. He's bringing those players through.
1: But and Nabi by the way. Yeah,
4: Nabi yeah, yeah. Well, I know we're going to get onto <laughs> to so I've saved him in my back pocket for a bit because he's one of my favourite players that I've seen live um, in oh, Germany. Nice and we I'm like just waiting. I'm waiting <laughs> to see him come to life in a Liverpool shirt. You know, um, you
2: know what? Let's not delay that conversation. Okay, yeah, further. yeah, let's get let's, to Let's, it let's, right let's, right let's go straight right into it. Because yeah. <laughs> he's, um, he's, he's a hot topic of uh, contention for, uh, in our group chats and on podcasts of, you know, of Well, he shouldn't be, but yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's more, I think it's more to do because, I mean, it's like you said, we've saw the electric player uh, that was at you know, um, Salzburg and Leipzig. Um, it's just obviously due to injuries, uh, frustrating frustrating injuries as well, just not being able to replicate on the pitch. But then you see videos um, like the training session that came out today where yeah. he looks completely on the ball. Yeah, seems like yeah, the, it the rest has done him a lot of good. And hopefully we can see that player going forward. I think it's more just a frustration from us more than anything. You yeah, to head,
3: Peter. To head. I just, I just, the video of him chasing his own pass. I, I, I don't believe that's the same player. Yeah, I mean, so I
4: mean, I think we should start with Navigator, the 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 man, or you know, the young adult. He, he's I've, I've had the joy of meeting him a couple of times, and when I was at Leipzig and speaking to him, he's probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's very softly spoken, got a very very dry sense of humour. Um, he's a real nice lad uh, I've got a great picture of me with him at Chester in his first game in a pre-season but unfortunately I've had I think we should call it a very good summer so it's not particularly a good picture of me um, and it's, it's a really good picture of Naby Keita, so I'm hoping I can catch up with him soon um, for a better picture but yeah he's a really nice lad and the way he played football at um, Leipzig especially at uh, Salzburg before yes but I mean I think he really exploded into the Bundesliga um, with that wonderful first standout season, and that is Nabi And yeah, he has been unlucky. Um, he sort of fell out once he signed that deal with Liverpool and was coming a year later. That pretty much um, it pretty much rules you out with a manager. You saw what happened to Emre Can when he said he wanted to leave, which is not a problem. But all of a sudden, you don't become part of the boss's plans because you know, he's looking for someone to replace you. And that's been a mixture of, of Campbell and Conrad um, Leimer at Leipzig. who are playing very well now. So
2: mm-hmm.
4: and when Naby came to Liverpool, I think he started really well, but then he picked up a little couple of injuries that didn't help. Um, I mean, it started at first. I think he slept funny on the plane on the way to the, I think it was America at the time, had a bad neck. Um, and And, you know, footballers are like high tuned race cars if, if, like, if your exhaust starts to go, it'll affect the other part of your engine. So he, he picked up a few injuries quite quickly. And then he, started, he got back from that. I thought he played really well against Manchester United. And I think he got knee in the leg and the hip at the same time, which caused him a few issues. And then he had his problems at Napoli away. Yeah, um, and then he was getting into a really, really good vein of form. And then he was That's injured before the Champions bit. League final. Um, and then, of course, we had all this problem with, with the national side. Um, with Guinea where he was taken away where he wasn't 100% fit and he's a captain and he's a pin-up. You know, he is like the main player for that team and they couldn't have gone into that championship without him. So he was almost forced to play. And I heard a lot of people, especially on social media, saying, oh, well, he should just not play. Well, unfortunately for footballers, you know, they get paid a lot of money and they have a great life, but they're owned by their own FA. So if he's told to report and he's told to play and he's told to train, he has to do it. And unfortunately, that didn't help him at all. But I mean... The footage as we record this today on, on Monday of him training, he looked really sharp and really fit. And that's the an Navigator that I saw at Leipzig for 18, 24 months.
0: Chris, I've got a, I've got a question I want to ask you. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of context. So I started following you just around the, the, um, during the development of the Navigator startup Okay, yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I started following you because you seemed to, I think you was on the ball around, um, you know, the transfer and what was going on in the ins and outs. And I think everyone was quite in quite a I think they were in dialogue with Sega Diallo. I think he is the the correspondent spec um in who's, who's another really
4: nice lad. Met him at PSG. Um real real nice, real competent, very hardworking journalist. I think a lot of people just see him as some guy on Twitter, but but he's not he's a real good guy. But yeah, carry on.
0: Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to to pick your brains on that whole um Nabi um I'd say that timeline from when you found out we were interested, and then all the way through to that infamous tackle and training, all the way all the way yeah. down to, to him, um, you know, finally signing. What was your general thoughts on that?
4: So yeah, it was, it was complex. Um, that was, I think, we're going to see that, or we are seeing that now with Timo Werner. So it's like a dance where one side's interested, the other side's not selling. One side's no more interested, and the other one might want to sell. Um, and I think Leipzig are a very good establishment of, of, Red Bull, obviously, a bought like to because of German, um, sponsorship laws within the, within the, within the country and the league, but they are part of the Red Bull empire and, and, and the Red Bull empire does like, and publicity, it's, the football teams are a marketing vehicle for the company, um, as is the Formula One team, as is the jump from space by, um, by I think the, I can't remember his name, Felix something or other, um, it jumped from the edge of space and, you know, they've got the X games, um, and and they do drip information left, right, and centre. Now I got exceptionally burnt at that time by I was told that there would be some really exciting news on the Sunday, um, and that really exciting news was that Navigator wasn't going to come. Now I'd put two and two together and got five. So um so yeah, so that's so that's a warning for anybody on that. And uh, you probably noticed that I've stayed away from transfers now because they can change literally overnight. I mean, I think if you go back to. Danny Ward was going to be Liverpool's number one, and then he was sold. And then 24 hours after, Alisson came in. And, you know, there have been some real big outlets report that Liverpool weren't interested in Alisson just two, three days before. So that's how quickly they changed. Um, but, yeah, I saw lots of, of Naby Keita and once uh, Liverpool were interested, obviously I was very excited as a Liverpool fan because he's an exciting player and offers a lot of speed, and he's very defensively minded as well as attack minded. So, yeah, that was a transfer dance um, and a saga. I think we're looking at a new one with Timo Werner as
1: well. Just to stick on Labby for one last question. Um, I've heard you say a lot about his skill set and basically heralding him. Um, we were linked to a few other people at the time. So Mlickovic Savic, Goretzka and Renato, sorry, Joseph Seri and Renato Sanchez. In terms of weighing up how Nabi's progressed and his skill set in comparison to them, do you feel like we have got a better player?
3: Um
4: on, on I mean, You can only go on results at the moment. And to say I'd be a little disappointed would, would not be... I'm not disappointed in Nabi Case disappointed in disappointed in the scenario that's been around him with his injuries, etc. So, I've got the... Renato Sanchez is a great player. Um, Someone that Leon Goretzka is a wonderful well. player. Yeah, um, I think he's
2: really stepped up this season for Bayern. Yeah,
4: and, and you can look at how those players have played and think, oh, Liverpool really missed out there. But, you know, I've said it. Probably sound like a broken record now, but once Naby Keita gets into the right vein of form, everybody's going to be like, oh, okay, that's why Liverpool went after him so much.
3: Well,
2: um, Mr. Mister Mark here has a bold, bold prediction for Adam Lalana yeah. and Naby Keita <laughs> in terms of goal return, so he needs to hope that Keita gets a little bit fit soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was saying 10 goals, 10 assists between the both of them. I think they're on 2-2 two two at the moment, but yeah, based yeah. on the training <laughs> videos at the moment, we could see Naby getting maybe five assists toward the end of the
3: season. Hopefully, anyway. Quickly, Chris, do you think but like, do you think um Naby's body's able to hold up with Klopp's system of like intense pressing, like the physicality of his like do you actually think his body's able to hold up in that system? Or do you yes, think it's, that's a, it's a
4: real good question because that's something that was leveraged at Daniel Sturridge for a bit where you know he's a wonderful footballer but, you know, is his ankles made of glass, that was that was a question. And I think that I think Nabi Cater's used to Leipzig play a very high pressing system and under Ralph Hassenhotler at the time. Uh, you know they play high tempoed football. Um, I think the Premier League is a little bit more robust in. I think the challenges can be a, a little bit more physical. That's not to say German football isn't physical, but I think the Premier League can be just a little bit more physical, um, and that's something that I don't think he's got used to yet. But then he's had all these problems with injuries as well, which. Um, which I think if he got that rest, if he wasn't pushed by the national side to play in that tournament at the time, I think we would have seen a lot better from him. But yeah, I, yeah, I think unfortunately it was that. But I do think his body can handle it. I just think he's had a really, really unfortunate run of form. Um, I, do, I do worry a little bit for him because if, if he can't find that form, then Liverpool will eventually say at some point, you know, how, how enough is enough. Um, and I wouldn't like to see that because he's such a good player but yeah, I think his body is up to it he, he just really needs a rest and hopefully he's had that because he does look pretty good in training
0: mm-hmm. oh, just, a think... last, just one oh, last sorry. point How much truth was there in Barcelona's interest in, in Naby um, from, from what we've read and from some of the reports um, they had a last minute bid rejected or they had come in at the last minute to try and get a hold of, of Naby how much truth to that was well, to, those, to those reports,
4: yeah. Certainly, from people I spoke to in Germany at the time, um, and, and at Leipzig at the time, Barcelona were very interested, um, and yeah, they wanted to make a move, but obviously, his mind was had been set that he wanted to go to Liverpool, so I think even the the latest of last minute bids and offers would have been no good for him, and I think. You can sort of see that with Timo Werner a bit as well because he is such a talented player and there isn't really many other clubs knocking on the door. Same thing happened with Virgil van Dijk as well. I think when a player says publicly, I want to go to Liverpool or I I like the the way that Mr Klopp plays football, I think that sort of puts other managers off because it's like, oh, well, he wants to go there, so there's no point in me going for him. Um, And and I think that's why, also think that's why players do it. Um, but, But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, Naby Keita wanted to play for Liverpool um, and obviously eventually he got there which I think is why we saw him um, get such a big hug at the end of the Champions League final last season because he was there but you know after everything happened um, you know he, he gets a big hug off Klopp because um, because I think Klopp knows how good he is and what he offers to the side I mean because he really went after him If you look at how 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 public the the courting team was if you want to call it that yeah. he's a player that that he wants and you know, we rarely make mistakes on a player.
1: So I had a really big smile on my face because Mbappe said the same thing. So I'm just floating that Mbappe. Yeah,
4: that's a lot of money. I mean, Naby Keita was expensive, but like Mbappe would be With mega expensive. Night <laughs> kit or no night kit.
2: <laughs> I
1: was going to say, we just do need someone to model the said night On kit. what Werner was saying about moving to Liverpool, what do you feel like his views are in terms of the German fans how do they view him and how do they view his behaviour in terms of saying he wants to move and he wants to go to Liverpool and talking so much about Liverpool? Because I know at times fans can really look down on that behaviour.
4: Yeah, they can. So I think Timo Werner gets away with it because he's banging the goals in. Um, like he's averaging, he's played 28 games this season in a Bundes- or 28 games in a Bundesliga over this long-term protracted season. And he's averaging a goal every 96 minutes over those 27, 28 games. So that, I, I think... Yeah, I think you can (laughs) pretty much say what you want um, if you're banging the goals in. And Leipzig are, although they want to become German champions and they've got an eye on winning the Champions League because that's what Red Bull want. um, I think they're clever enough to know that they can not be a stepping stone, but they can recruit young lads from, from either smaller clubs in France or maybe a pathway over from Salzburg. Um, and then be a stepping stone to Liverpool or be a stepping stone to Real Madrid or Barcelona, etc. Um, so I, th- I think they, they're aware of that. Um, I think they'd be a, a, Leipzig fans would be a lot more upset if Timo Werner went to Bayern Munich and then was put in six or seven past them twice a season.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a long running joke um, with myself. Uh, I used to, I remember when uh, Leipzig signed Werner from Stuttgart. I mean, I remember him being one of the hottest prospects in Europe at that time, even then. I mean, because it was mm. for what it, the fee, what it was at the time was still fairly substantial. Um, and I tracked his career a fair bit. And I think he got to the 2018 World Cup and I was like, I, just, I just don't know if he's got it. because I, 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 I would have loved him at Liverpool at that time. Uh, so I think that's just kind of put me off. But from what I've been seeing recently, I've kind of warmed back up more to the idea, just seeing how he can kind of slot in more of his positional versatility more than anything. Um, do, do you yeah. think that'll be a massive asset to him if he does um, you know, end up at Liverpool? That's yeah, because
4: of... a lot of people have said, oh, I don't think he'll come to Liverpool because he's going to spend a lot of time on the bench. Well, you know, Liverpool, when, once the season comes back, Liverpool win a league. I, I, think, that, I think it's pretty safe to say that unless I probably give up watching football if they don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, next season winning the league won't be enough. And winning the Champions League won't be enough. It'll be like, well, Manchester City went and won a treble. Can Liverpool do that? And you can't do that with 12, 13 decent players. You've got to have 16, 17 decent players. So, um, Timo Werner can play He can play left um, and he can play central. So, that allows um, Sadio Mane to have a break. And then it allows Roberto Firmino to have a break. And then it even allows Mohamed Salah to have a break if Mane goes on the right-hand side. And Werner can play on the right. He just prefers to cut in from the left. So, um, I think he would get maybe you know a one rest in every three to four games, which is probably what a player needs over a, over a full season in order to be firing on all cylinders. The only problem comes if you know he's a goal scorer and he plays those three games and he bangs in three hat tricks. How do you then drop him for someone else coming in? But I mean that is the that is the problem that every manager in the world wants to have. So um, I think he would his versatility would suit. Liverpool, I think it's Klopp's system. He's used to high pressing. He's very quick on the transition. He can also drop deep and win the ball back, and then allow you know players either side of him to drift out wide. So yeah, he would be a perfect fit, which is why everybody has said that. Even the likes of um, Ralph Ragnick have said that if he was to move, he would benefit going to a system which would fit him, which would be Liverpool. I
2: was going to say mm. just, just in terms of um, just in terms of Ragnick. I know there was um, kind of some bit of discourse between. Himself and Liverpool when the K transfer was going on initially, um, as that relation, he's, he's not notorious as you know, Michel Ullas in terms of dealing with him. Um, would you say that relationships a, a, a good point between the, the the two parties in terms of if there was a transfer to get done?
4: Um, yeah, well, so Ralph Ragnick's moved on now. He's not, although he is still at Red Bull Football, he's in charge of their entire. Um, scouting department so he looks at players in South America looks at players in North and Central Western South Africa um, and he looks at players to bring into either Salzburg or Red uh, Story New York Red Bulls or he looks at players who can go into Leipzig so he's not actively involved in Leipzig themselves anymore but okay. Liverpool and, and Oliver Mintzlaff and the CEO have, have got a good working relationship um, obviously Klopp and Werner's agent have got a good relationship so um, yeah, there's there's things there to be built on, and I mean you can have a bad relationship, but when you're talking about 55 million euros, I think you know any relationship can be um, sorted out quite quickly with that sort of money.
1: Yeah. What if anything do you think could hinder Werner being a success at Liverpool? That's a good question.
4: Um, maybe time to adapt to the Premier League. Um, it is pretty similar to the Bundesliga, although. I would say I've covered Bundesliga week in, week out, and I love it, and I've done for years. But there's one sensational team in Bayern Munich. Um, I think there's four really good teams, um, and then the rest are, are not bad. So I think in a Premier League, you've got six exceptionally good teams, and the rest aren't bad. I think that's the only thing that could hinder is immediate success. But you know, he's a player who can work it out. He's played international football. He scores at international level. So uh, I, I think... The, the problem that players have is adapting to new leagues and the pressure that comes with them. Um, you know, young players as well. He said there that he sort of did Timo Werner have it in him after he moved from Stuttgart. But personally, I don't think players hit their prime till 25, 26. So, you know, yeah. until a player gets that, look at Daniel Sturridge. He's a perfect example. Everybody wrote him off, said he, you know, he was pretty much useless. And then he came to Liverpool in his prime and had... Know, wonderful couple of seasons until he was injured was real glad that he won the Champions League before he left yeah, um, I think that Sunday's some, some time up there he needed a trophy just for, for what he put in in that 13-14 season so um, so yeah I think players need a little bit of time to adapt and and remember that they're only young kids at the end of the day I mean if you're 18 years old You're only two years older than when you're a 16-year-old boy, in essence. So it does take time for players to adapt. Not everyone's going to be Trent Alexander-Arnold or Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo moving away at such a young age and then becoming a world superstar. Everybody takes a little bit of time um, and everyone's got a different path.
1: You kind of segued me into another topic that I want to go into. So speaking of young players, um, I know you said you watch a lot of union billing. So have you watched a lot of Hertha Berlin, been able to see Marco Gurkic? Yeah, yeah. How have you been coming
4: along? Yeah, I like, um, I like going to Berlin, obviously. They've got two teams there. Um, yeah, Hertha Berlin, you know, massive stadium, too big for them. But yeah, they've had, um, I think we could call it a roller coaster. That's probably being nice to them. They've had a strange couple of years with manager changes, or sorry, head coach changes. They've had supervisory board members come in and out. They've had a guy called Lars Windhorst come in and take pretty much over that club as in the 49% that's available to him. Um, they had the Hollywood scenario of Jurgen Klinsmann coming in and then they've had this Facebook Live problem, not just with Klinsmann, but with Salomon Kalu going a little bit rogue and filming things that he shouldn't have done. Um, so they've had a, a strange couple of seasons, but Marco Gruic, I think he, he played really well in his first season there. Um, he's taken a little bit of time to get going this current season, but then He's had so many different managers to work under. I think this is his fourth manager he's been under now, or his fourth head coach, sorry, that he's been working under. So that's going to affect him. Um, I'm probably wondering the question that's going to come next is how would he get on at Liverpool? My only fear for Gruwich is that the Liverpool he joined isn't the Liverpool that's now. So remember when he came, and then you had that pre-season game against Barcelona at Wembley, which I was at, and you know he's really good. Liverpool are a completely different animal now. They've got one of the best midfields in the world. They've got one of the best forward lines. They've arguably got the best centre-back and goalkeeper in the world at the minute. Uh, Marco Gruic, if he was to come back you know, now, he wouldn't start. Um, and Marco Gruic is good enough to start at yep. a team like Hertha Berlin or at a team you know, mid-table, mid-top to six in, in the Premier League. I don't think he's a top four, top five team Regular starter at the moment, but he's only young himself. It's whether he wants to hang around. Does he want to be third, fourth choice central midfielder when he can play week in, week out at somewhere like Hertha Berlin or Frankfurt? Um, that's a, that's a choice that he's going to have to make. But he's talented. But but yeah, my only concern for him is that Liverpool were, were an average side when he joined, and now obviously the world class, and that's hard for anybody to
2: break in. From a for, uh, from a positional sense, with uh, Gruhic where do you see him kind of like fitting in in this current midfield setup? Because I don't feel like he's got the might be a bit unfair on him the defensive mind to, to fill that number six role. But I also don't think he's got the attacking prowess in terms of his finishing for more of the attacking midfielder role.
4: Yeah, we can play in either of those areas. So you play defensive midfielder, central midfielder, or even attacking midfielder if he needed to. Um, it's whether I mean, who's he going to displace at Liverpool, Billy? Displace the captain Jordan Henderson. Nope. Will he displace Fabinho? No. Will he displace Ginny Mignaldum? No. We know <laughs> who's he gonna displace? Um, arguably, if James Milner was to leave, he would replace James Milner, but then he doesn't offer the versatility that Milner get. You can't put him at left back, you can't put him at right back, you can't put him up front, he doesn't take exceptional throw-ins. So um he would be third, fourth, maybe even fifth choice. I, I would put him way behind, you know, the current midfield we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even behind one, once Nabi Kate is 100% fit, that's another player that'll be in front of him, another player who can play attacking central defensive midfielder. So it's going to be a real, uh, it's a bit of a Hobson's choice to think. Does he want to stay on the bench or does he want to leave arguably one of the
2: best teams in the world at the minute? So it's a real difficult choice for him to make. Just sticking on that um, that kind of like Bundesliga talent point of view, I mean, we all know about the Jaden Sancho's of the world, the Erling Hallens. Um, I think it's more the players kind of like uh, Millet, Rishikha at Werder um, and, and players of that mould that we have seen Liverpool have a bit of an interest in. Is there any more players that you could go into a little bit more detail about that Liverpool have possibly uh, had scouts at their games or have shown interest in in the past kind of like Julian Brandt for instance?
4: Yeah, I mean Brandt's a great player um, and obviously he's moved on from Leverkusen to Dortmund now. That was, that, that was a move that was perfectly made for him to do that. And there's just players like Kai Havertz um, obviously, Rashika is, um, yeah. <laughs> is a real interesting example because uh, I think he was unfairly labelled in the, in the English press that it, it would be like a poor man's Werner. Well, he can play central attacker a little bit better than Timo Werner, who can play it but doesn't like it. Rashika will play there. He can also play on the left or he can drop deep. So he does offer it, uh, something different. Um, in a little bit than Timo Werner but he he would require a a lot of coaching to be brought up to the standard and obviously Jurgen Klopp can do that Um, but it would be like an an Andrew Robertson sort of situation where he comes in and isn't ready to start until he learns the system in and out and then would come in and play really well Um, that's Liverpool's not problem but Klopp's built such a good system is that he has to pick players carefully for it and you know, I I personally don't think Liverpool are going to go out and spend 60, 70, 80, 90 million every transfer window because, you know, they've got that spine at the minute. They've got a great goalkeeper. They've got a really good defence pair. And if you bring in Joe Gomez as well, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good defenders still at the club. Midfield, I think, is saturated. So I don't think we need any more midfielders personally. Um, and then it's all about how to rotate the front three and get the best out of them. So, um, yeah, I don't expect many ins and outs from Liverpool for the next couple of seasons until they need to maybe replace all of those spines or parts of that spine. So, Rashika would be a good player. Uh, I personally think Timo Werner... If Timo Werner was to come to Liverpool, then Liverpool wouldn't need to make a, a midfield or forward signing for the next three, four seasons, which, obviously, as a business, that, that makes a lot of sense.
3: Just a quick question. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, Mark. Oh, uh, just ahead. a quick question. Um, is there any, like, talents that we should probably, like, look out for, just as, not even just a Liverpool fan, maybe just as a Premier League fan, that maybe, like, I just think, you know, off like off, off the cuff, maybe, like, people, like, are not always on the headlines, but people, like, it's a bit so, I think you said, like, yeah, like, Nord, like Nordhaus, or, I don't know how you say it, but, like, yeah, names that we should look out for that could possibly make a switch to the Premier League, but necessarily might not make the headlines, just any names that we should look out for.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to look at players who could make an impact in a Premier League for any club, um, I mean, for for a big club, for a top six side, they'd have to go shopping at somewhere like Bayern, who don't rarely sell, um, Dortmund or Leipzig. Leipzig are just full of real good players. Konrad Lyme is a good central midfielder. Zabitzer, Marcel Zabitzer is is wonderful. Mokaleli um, is probably one of the most exciting players. I've seen, I mean, he should win the Bundesliga's Rookie of the Year. Uh, That's something that they have each season. He should win that hands down because he's so exciting. I don't know if you saw the game last night against Cologne where he takes the ball wonderfully well, great chip to score. He's also got an assist in his back pocket. He's a really, really, really exciting player. I think he could fit in at Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. Is he a right
3: back or a centre back? I think he's a right
4: back. McClelley? Yeah. Yeah, more central midfielder. But he can oh, play okay. in a variety of positions. So he's a real talented um, player again. Oh, OK. Um, and that's that's a good... That's why I think Leipzig are a good fit for Liverpool to go shopping in. Um, I think a read It's either in German or English... Um, are leipzig liverpool's new southampton because they play you know (laughs) such good football that they that liverpool are going to be like well he's a good footballer well actually so is he so is he so is he and what about their coaches what about their nutritionists so what about their doctors that they they make a real good fit for liverpool to just poach all the best players from so uh, yeah keep an eye on leipzig um i mean they've just got so many good talents um you now, Haidara, as well, who's had problems with injuries, yeah. it's good to see him yeah. come on last night. He's another really exciting player. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of players in, um, in the Bundesliga, youth players, but whether they'd be able to make the jump over to the Premier League straight away is, you know, that's a, a question that I think only can be answered if they were to do it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: Staying on Leipzig players, there was a lot of buzz about Emil Forsberg about two, three years ago. Why do you feel like there isn't so much noise around him at the this
4: current time, so Yeah, so he's, he's not had the best seasons with with injuries. I think he was he was at his very peak um, at that time. That Naby Keita was there, so that first season when they got promoted and they finished second, and pretty much they like blew everybody away apart from buying in the Bundesliga. Everybody was like, "Who are these like new kids on the block, upstarts, only a couple of years old?" Um, and Forsberg was one of them. You know, he could have moved to AC Milan at the time, but was told that he wasn't going. Um, and I don't think he's gone off the boil. I just think he's a he's another young player that'll just have ups and downs until he's 26, 27. So um, he is good, but I think he's another that's been hampered by injuries as well. So I'd expect to see a little bit more from him at um, the back end of this season and the next the next season, whenever that is.
1: And in terms of Kyle Havertz, there's been a lot of rumours linking us to Kyle Havertz as well. Um, who would you see as a better prospect for Liverpool and who do you think would fit in the team More seamlessly, especially given that Havertz has been playing that false nine role for quite a lot of goals since the start of the show restart of the Bundesliga.
4: Yeah, I mean Havertz is such a wonderful talent. Um, He's got a real good understanding of the game, real good reading of the game. He's he's a grounded lad himself. I mean, he's just a normal lad. He's got no airs and graces about him. Um, You know, he, he just seems an absolutely normal down to earth lad. So. I think he would fit into Liverpool side quite well. You know, he'd probably fit into any of the top three sides quite well. Um, but he's wanted by Bayern. Um, I yeah. sat down and spoke with um, the CEO of Leverkusen, Fernando Caro, and their sporting director, and um, Zimon Rolfers in December, um, and they were quite adamant that he's not going to leave on a cheap. He's still got two years left on his contract. So um, I think Bayern have said that they can't afford him at the minute. Now that might just be a little bit of uh, mind games but um but yeah i mean he's he would cost they value him in the region of 100 million euros i think you'd be lucky to see him get sold for anything less than 75 80 at the minute um coronavirus
2: problems or not it's funny you said that because obviously there was a report i think it was yesterday or the day before in regards to manchester united having an interest in kai and they were hoping he's getting for 50 million pounds yeah no which yeah, yeah which is like yeah. Absolutely no chance. Um, buy him one would...
4: leg for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> probably not
4: even that. You get so if group. you want to play with one leg, they they's <laughs> probably a great buy at fifty million pounds.
2: <laughs> I mean, we're. Um, I think we're all massive fans of Kai Havertz um, in, in our group chat, and we've been watching him for a while. And you know, he's he's one if if someone. I think the only situation where he would possibly arrive at Liverpool at the moment is if um, one of the front three or a key player were to move on, uh, which is. Which is, you know, which is a bit a, a tad disappointing because obviously, you, you don't want to hoard all the talent, but you also do want to hoard all the talent at the same time. Because um, I just think he'd be a fantastic player for Liverpool. Um, where, where do you see him possibly ending up? Do you think it does end up? He ends up at, at Bayern Munich, um, even with kind of that resentment of them um, poaching a lot of the top German talent.
4: Yeah. So, so um, I'll, I'll give Bayern a little bit of. Um, uh, a little bit of help so they don't so Dortmund <laughs> buy more players from, from the Bundesliga and buy Munich they just buy tend to do it very very well so they'll either get a player to run down his contract and get him for free but it's, um, it's Dortmund that will normally buy most Hoover up most of the talent if you look at them you know what, that,
2: that's a very good point uh, they, uh, yeah. do, they
4: get away with a bit of murder don't they really yeah yeah they do um, and, and they do it quite well but um, I mean Havertz could literally choose whatever club he wants to go to at the minute he's playing that well Um you know he can play midfield areas. Can play he can play off the right hand side or left hand side if he really needed to. And he's also developed into this false nine since the Bundesliga's mm. returned. So, you know, if you want a versatile player, um, you know, he's the man. Which obviously makes me laugh even more because not only is someone valuing a hundred million euro player at fifty million, or or a hundred million pound player at fifty million pounds. Um, He's also mega versatile and shown that he can play in a false nine role. So, you know, that will add another 10, 15, 20 million to, to his price tag. So, um, yeah, for, for United or someone to write that they thought Manchester United could get him on the cheap, I think, uh, is there to sell advertising space and clicks, I think.
1: Even the fact that he's, I believe, the first German goal scorer to get a certain number of goals under 21, that's going to add an extra premium on top and... Yeah. as much as I do want him at the club I don't really see it being a feasible move and these guys know I've been screaming our habits for quite some time I really really want him but I don't see who he displaces in the team I don't see us having the money ready there to spend on him or being willing to spend that level of money for someone who's going to sit on the bench
4: yeah so, I think Liverpool were happy to spend money um, I just think they're happy or they're not happy to, to be like bent over a barrel um you know, they do their business very, very well. Um, and if, if a player is worth 100 million, they'll try and get him cheaper. And I, I don't think that makes them cheap skates, I think it makes them good businessmen. Um, Agreed. trying to find the best way possible. Um, you know, I know people go, just spend the money. Well, you can't just spend the money because they spend 100 million. On one player, and then it's like get the next player for 100 million. Before you know it, you spent three, four hundred million. And whether we like it or not, there is financial fair play still in in you know in the system, yeah. and it probably will stay in the system unless Manchester City can win their appeal. Um, and and if they don't, if they do win their appeal, then you know FIFA financial fair play might be blown apart, and you can go and spend whatever you want. But at the moment, Liverpool needs to buy sensibly in order to be able to balance the books properly.
2: I guess it's the last thing in terms of transfer talk. Um, obviously, we're going to be operating this next transfer window in a COVID-19 scenario and then subsequent ones in a post-COVID-19 world. What do you think that does in terms of actual player evaluations? Because we've seen, I think the correct word for it probably would be hyperinflation in terms of evaluations and transfer moves. I mean, uh, we've said before, and the, the, new, the new £30 million pound move is around 60 £80 million for a player. Do you see that possibly resetting to what it was pre namer or do you see it staying at the same levels as it is at the moment?
4: I think it all depends on whereabouts in a world you are, so um I think some of the leagues that don't make as much money would like to see it cut, so um the league' make a lot of money, but it goes to the top two, and uh, the yeah. rest of the clubs don't have the money to to you know, counter on that pretty much the same in Italy. England is very lucky because. You know the, the money's distributed a little bit more equally, although the top six want to change that. Um, I would think that the bubbles probably burst um, and it needed to burst because i don 't think any player is worth two hundred million pounds or two hundred million euros um, I think it's it 's unachievable in the long game. All it does is push up prices for everybody else, so you know you guys want to go to match all of a sudden your ticket costs seventy five pound you know the hot dog outside costs six pound eighty. <laughs> you want to drink inside, it costs £5.20 for a Coke. That's how they get all the money back, and it, it, it's, it's, una- it's unachievable in the long run. And you get clubs who are spending 105% of their income um, on on wages, and, and that's not sustainable either. So I, I would say that it will affect it. Um, in the long term, I think we'll see prices come down. Um, but in the short term, play, uh, clubs don't want to lose money, so you won't see... Jaden Sancho leave Dortmund for 50 million you won't see Kai Havertz leave Leverkusen for 50 million um, Real Madrid won't think they can get Sadio Mane for 50 million you know there's going to be uh, short term there's going to be no change but I think long term football will have to change because I think we've all seen how tied into money it is with television rights you know the teams in France look like they're not going to get their television money and there's going to be a little bit less television money and sponsorship money coming in um, because of behind closed doors, et cetera. So I think football will change. Um, it might just, stay, might just stay at the limit it's at and then come down. Um, I can't see it going up and up and up, which it was you know, carrying on. Um, it would have looked that had this not happened, how much would have Mbappe gone for? Probably more than Neymar. And you know, that, that's unsustainable for, for most clubs in the world.
0: Just, just sticking on the the topic of, of Sancho, we're, we're we're seeing a lot of uh, young players now. I guess making uh, statements um, by way of celebrations, um, and um, we've seen them more recently. Sancho and I believe uh, Turam as well have uh, made gestures. Um, I wouldn't like to say political statements. I think that uh, I think what I'll say is gestures, um, and. As we know, the rules um, mean that if they take their shirt off or make these specific um, gestures, they could get a yellow card. Um, I'm not sure whether or not that's up to the discretion of the, um, the referee or whether or not that's just the law in itself. But as far as some of these um, political based gestures um, for humanitarian reasons, do you think that should be a, a reason um, for them to look at the the cases on a case by case basis, or do you think it should be up to the referees to be um, to, to put together some sort of discretion around some of these uh, um, i'd say political gestures? well I think
4: we have to take it like case by case so everything that's gone on this weekend um, you know needed to go on I, I think people say you should keep politics out of football I, I think I personally think the two are linked you know if you look at German football for instance, there is consistent. Protests on the side, anti-homophobia, anti-racism, anti-sexism. You know, German fans are very, very vocal. Um, you know that they, they Dortmund do a lot for inclusion of refugees, for kicking out. You know, Nazis that may still be well, that Nazi mindset that may still be in Germany. You know, Nazi Raus is a big movement in Germany. Nazis out still because you know the the the. The, the coming back of the right wing and it's not just in Germany, it's all across Europe and especially, you know, we're seeing it in America at the moment as we're recording this, you know, America is burning um, and it's in a real sad situation. I think players have got a, a platform um, and, and you know, they're young men and they feel very strongly about that um, and they want to use that platform to, to push um, not just their ideals, but ideals that they think the rest of the world should have. So, you know, Jaden Sancho, um Thoram, um Weston McKenny, um Tyler Adams last night had something written on his boots as well. Um I think that players should use this and it and it should be allowed the wrong word because it's such a serious issue. Um I think Jaden Sancho got booked. This has been misrepresented in the UK a lot. Jaden Sancho got booked on Saturday for removing his shirt, which is an offence under the laws of the game. You can't remove your shirt because had, the, had it been a full crowd and we see a shirt comes off, it gets raised right around their head and it, it's supposed to be unsporting behavior. Um, so Jaden Sancho was booked for removing his shirt. He certainly wasn't booked for the message that was on the shirt. Um, and the DFB, um, the German FA rules uh, are pretty much like the, the FA rules. It's quite strict. There are to be no political messages or messages of any kind written on the shirt. Now, um, the DFB have spoken today and, and said that actually, you know, this current um, situation that's going on, we should be speaking out about things like this. You know, racial issues. Uh, as you quite rightly said it's not political; it's humanitarian. I think the only way it becomes political is when certain political parties don't see it as, as you know, humanitarian. That's when it becomes um, political. So, the DFB are looking at that. FIFA have come out. I think it was either today or yesterday and said that in these instances, we need to call it out, because whether people like it or not, there's already movements in the game. You've got to kick it out, um, you know, wear the T-shirts, you stop racism. That's exactly the same sort of T-shirt that um, Jaden Sancho had a message written on. it. It's a message to say that racism won't be tolerated. So um, I think we'll see a change on that. The, the rules in the game are there to protect the game, in inverted commas, because while we all agree with what's going on, at The minute and why these young players are doing this, and why you know young players and, and clubs we've seen Liverpool and Chelsea do it today take a knee on, on social media, they're doing it for a reason. But I think there's FIFA are scared of, uh, of maybe players who have um, political persuasions that would shock us all, or may start putting messages that we don't particularly like. And you have to look at certain parts yeah. in the world, you know, there's, there's certain parts within. And the Asian subcontinent where, where countries don't get on with each other. There's parts in the European continent, Albania, Kosovo, the old Yugoslavia, okay. where if they started writing political messages all over the shirts, you know, there'd be a lot of problems. But I think for, for instances such as racism, homophobia, inclusion of, of refugees coming from war-torn countries trying to make themselves a better life, I think football has got the perfect platform to, to open that up and let that happen and, and be a, a voice for good and I think we're seeing that, especially the last 24 hours. The lawmakers in the game are going, actually, we should probably look at this because it's such a serious situation that can affect the whole world. You know, America's in such a bad situation at the minute. You know, it doesn't look like it's far off civil war. And it's a real sad situation for everybody that's living there and everybody that's having to live with everything. And this isn't the first time we've seen it. Um, Anthony Yujar made a a, a protest in 2014, similar sort of instance, young black lad is killed in police custody. And um, the DFB said it's not allowed, but they saw how serious it was and they gave him the lowest possible sanction, which was just a letter saying, don't do it again. They didn't fine him or anything. They they knew what their their laws were and said, look, we understand. We still got to do something about it. So we're just going to tell you not to do it again. And, and, And hopefully this time that won't even happen.
2: Would you say for instance such as, um, such as this, in terms of with the humanitarian statements as they are, would you say the German, F- German FA are more progressive than the English FA on these issues? Because, I mean, we've had instances with uh, players in the past where they've said issues about racism. They, they don't really feel like they've been addressed in any form. Whereas we've had instances in Germany where they seem to be you know, just addressed very quickly and you know, action to a, a very quick res- resolution.
4: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say Germany's perfect. Um, there was an instance not too long ago in Schalke. Um, uh, Hertha Berlin player was, you know, racially abused from the sideline. It's it's happened in some of the lower leagues as well. So Germany's nowhere near perfect. Um, you know, it's a represent- Germany's just a country like everybody else, and it's a societal problem across the world. So um, I think every country's got its problems. Um, it's just about how they deal with it. I think at this minute in time. Um, because Germany is the only country that's playing top-level football, you know, it's the only one of the big five leagues going, it feels like it's got that whole eyes of the world looking at it, and it's taken a progressive approach. You know, the chairman and the DFB came out today and said, you know, we stand with all the players that are making these statements because you know the death of George Floyd is something that shouldn't be happening in modern-day America or modern-day world. You know, These are the sort of things that you should be looking back in time you know, that went on in, in the in the fifties or forties and thinking god we should never be going back there again. But for some reason, well I know exactly what reason it is, but you know, America's got itself back into that situation because of who it's been led by. So I think everybody needs to speak out. And I'm I'm all for players using their platform to to push out messages of, of, of any kind, be it political or be it humanitarian, you know, they've got the ability to do that. I think the problem arises is when it's something we don't like. i um, not saying Dejan Lovren's um, got any problems, but I, I think he, he liked a couple of, of um, flat earth and anti-vaccine posts. Yeah. And that makes me think, okay, that's a little bit weird. Um, and it's if, um, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's problems within society for all over. So imagine the, the backlash if a player came out and said, actually, it doesn't really bother me what's going on in America that and but then if everybody went mad he would have recourse to say well hang on a minute this is these are my beliefs and Jaden sancho can show his beliefs Emory chan can show his beliefs why can't i show my beliefs i think that's why there's been a hesitancy in the past for fifa to allow it to happen because once you allow one protest that everybody agrees with you sort of give a green light for every protest and there's going to be protests that you i and everybody else won't agree with but i think in this particular instance And because of the shockwaves that it sent around the world, I think football will allow it and it should allow it. And it already has, um, you know, anti racism going on, probably not enough because you listen to someone speak like Raheem Sterling and, you know, you you find that it needs to be taken more on. And I think football's got a real problem because fans are tribal. um, Yeah. And if you look back at what, you know, look back now as a Liverpool fan and a Liverpool supporter and someone who's from Liverpool. I think the way the club handled the whole Suarez thing was an absolute disgrace. Um, and you look back now and it is, it is a bit of a poor moment in the club's history. And and not quite rightly, but, you know, other fans will bring that up forever and they'll bring it up for point scoring, not because they don't agree with it. They'll, they'll bring it up to be able to make Liverpool look bad. But that's a real bad part of Liverpool's history there. Um, and it was good to see that, um, I think the way the club's operated now, had that happened now, you know, that wouldn't go on today. You wouldn't see, oh, we didn't do it, he didn't do it. It's all Patrice Everest's fault. You know, it's victim blaming. I, I think we're in a different position now um, as a club and as a fan base and a mentality to to not do that, to put the human before any, any colours that you're wearing, be them red, be them blue, be them yellow. So, um, yeah, I think clubs should do more. Um, but I'm personally glad that Liverpool
2: have moved on from such a sorry situation a few years ago. No, I completely agree, agree with you there. It's very much a a, a black mark in Liverpool's recent past and uh, historic past, um, if anything. And it was good to see yesterday that they acted so, so swiftly. Um, you know, I think James Pierce came out it yesterday in The Athletic to say that the initiative was led by uh, Virgil van Dijk and Ginny van Alden to say, know, this is an action that we feel very strongly about. And obviously, Rian Bruce has felt strongly about with his um, very eloquently put statement on social media and it's good to see them act on that and there was no hesitancy to kind of take a stand which is absolutely brilliant I
1: think
4: everybody should be saying something you know I, I think I, I think it's shocking um, what, what's going on in the States and to me it, it doesn't matter Um, you know what your background what your race is what your political beliefs are when someone does that you know when a policeman kneels on on someone's neck just because they think he's doing something wrong because of color of his skin that's something that should be shouted from the rooftops that we're not happy with and you know it's such a bad situation in the states and you know if anybody's got friends in america i really feel for them in a minute because i'd hate to be living in that situation
2: yeah, I mean, uh, one of my friends is a uh, Air Force Reserve, and he got kind of like a call up to kind of be on the front lines today. So that's a bit of a bit of a crap situation. But uh, mm. you can you can only yeah, it's it's an understandable situation as well in terms of people revolting and whatnot. So yeah, so yeah it's, it gets, it's definitely. Yeah, it's so hopefully get resolves resolved sooner rather than later. Um, yeah bit of a weird one to kind of go to another topic after that now.
4: No, I think <laughs> I, I think I think sports got a vital role to play. You know, Lewis Hamilton straight out asking yeah. why the rest of Formula One on on mm. doing something about it. That's good. Um, you know, me personally, I think I genuinely think it's terrible that that these things even go on, you know, in, in modern day society. So I mean I don't really have a you know a voice but you know football players and, and young black athletes certainly have the ability and and the power to to make a change, and I'm, I'm glad to see them doing that, and I'm glad to see the teammates come on board. I'm glad to see that the um, chair, the the sports director of Schalke, Jochen Schneider, came out straight away and said, "Doesn't matter what happens to Weston McKenney we back him 100%. No matter what the league do, we back him." Emre Chan came out and said he supported everything that Hakimi and Sancho did, um, you know Leipzig the same yesterday. With Tyler Adams's boots, the goal celebration by Codobra, um when Cologne scored, everybody's backing it because I think they see that as such an important issue.
2: No, yeah, that's 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 great to see. Um, again, I get another question in terms of obviously with football starting up in England in a few in a few weeks. Um, Kind of compare and contrast the attitudes towards starting up a new season in Germany as opposed to to England. One of the big kind of pushbacks from rival fans that we've we've kind of got a little bit of a kick out of is null and void and the whole kind of situation of a null and void scenario so Liverpool don't get the title. uh, it's, uh, has nice any... try. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> nice has, try. So has there been any of that sentiment in, 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 in Germany at all, or has it just been kind of a more of a collective effort to kind of get the season back back up and running? Obviously, I know there's a, a different scenario in terms of relegation where the third I'm to this yeah, one. so third bottom in yeah. the
4: top league or third bottom in any league plays the um, third top in the league below, for, and that goes that
2: filters all the way down. I've always um, thought that'd be a pretty good, pretty interesting concept to have in a, Yeah, big, it's. I've, I've, I've been
4: yeah I've been to two of them. Excuse me. I've been to two of them now. Um, Wolfsburg were in both of them, um, and they won them both on two legs. Real real good atmosphere because, you know, the the team that's in the top league are absolutely bricking it because you know they're going to drop down. Whereas the third place fans are like, actually, we've got 180 minutes to get promotion. So yeah. I think everyone. Well, you might have seen Union Berlin. They beat Stuttgart last season to be one of the, the, the yeah. first teams in a long time to be promoted on that. Um, that the second Bundesliga team wins. So, yeah, but there's been more problems um, in Germany from fans about games coming back behind closed doors because I'm sure you're well aware that um, in Germany, clubs are uh, uh, 50, it's called 50 plus one, but they're 51% owned by their members which is normally their fans. Leipzig a little bit different. Um, they only have 16 members, but it's all, it's all legal and above board. Um, Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg are owned by, um, by companies. So Wolfsburg's owned by Volkswagen. It's a works team. Uh, Leverkusen is owned by Biopharmaceuticals. It's a works team. So they are operate a little bit differently. Hoffenheim as well. Because yeah, they're, they're owned by
2: the uh, SAP. Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. so Dietmar Hopper um, put a lot of money in for 20 years into that club. Once you do that, you then automatically get the right to buy 100% of the club. So that's why that happened. But traditionally, clubs like Cologne, Dortmund, Schalke, um, they are owned 51% by their members. So the problems they had was, well, we own the club. We want to be able to watch it. And if we can't watch it, then you can't come back until we can watch it. But I think we all know that Financially, there have been no clubs to come back to. So that's why they've come back. But there's certainly been no null and void crew <laughs> because they don't want Bayern Munich to win the league. There's been none of that. The, the, there's been no request for null and void. The request from German fans is, don't bring football back until we can go back because football without fans is nothing. Um, that, that's been the only cause for concern. And, and has football come, too back, come back too quickly in Germany? You know, when football when they started training in early April, you know the country was still under pretty much lockdown conditions. Now it's a little bit different, schools are open, you know, you can go out, the pubs are open. I've got a couple of friends in Hamburg sent me some pictures the other night. You know, they can socially distance in a pub, restaurants are open, shops are open, you can go and buy clothes and trainers again. It's not just food. So they are getting back to a normal which allows them to do that, which I think six weeks ago in the UK, we certainly weren't in that position, but you know, touchwood hope that m- mid to late June we'll be in a situation a little bit like Germany is now to be able to go back to, to what we call non-essential business
2: and football's part of that. So how does it, it feel at the moment kind of covering German football from a distance? Ironically.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I would love to be over there cause I'm used to be over there. You know, I can't see colleagues and friends that I've got, um, at the moment. Um, but you know, it's, um, I wouldn't like to say it's been a blessing because there's been a lot of people around the world die from, you know, from a terrible virus um, disease. But for me personally, professionally, it's been, um, it's been a good time for football to, or for German football to be the only league coming back. Um, you know, there aren't that many English language speaking covers of the game on, on, um, on, on a big scale. Um, not that I am on a big scale but I've been afforded an opportunity now I've been given a, a little bit of a bigger platform so found myself am doing co-commentary for Bundesliga World Feed in, in English language which is you know great fun I don't think that I don't think that would have happened had every other league been going on because I don't know if, if that would have been um, available to me but but yeah it's a situation that has allowed me to to do a little bit of different work but I would rather be over there, um, weekend or not weekend, every other week, um, going over there, and, and you know I just like travelling. So I quite happily get up at five in the morning, go to Stansted Airport, hop on a plane. I think it's great. I love it. Um, get on, off the other side, get a, get a train, try and order some stuff in German until they find out I'm English <laughs> and stop me speaking German. But um, I mean, it's no different really. Whether you just see more at the game than you do on television because your eyes can go wherever they want not where the camera or the editor in the gallery tells you where to look, that's, that's basically the only difference.
3: Just a quick question for you, um, have you got any like advice for any maybe people like aspiring to be in the, people people like me as well, people like aspiring to be in the media uh, industry or sports, sports like journalism industry, Like, what's your advice to people like me?
4: Don't take no for an answer, um, is probably the best one, so you know there they go get out and meet as many people as you can um you know I know it's hard if, if 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 you're not in that position to be able to do that um just start writing and obviously you're doing the right sort of thing podcasting etc. you know getting experience and 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 getting to know how the system works but I mean it is quite closed in the u k which is one of the reasons as well why I think I've been able to to maybe um Maybe get to to be able to cover matches live quicker because Germany's a lot more open. There's and I mean opening you can just apply to clubs. There's no in the UK in order to cover Premier League games you've got to be data crow accredited. You've got to be either part of a big newspaper or outlet to be able to do that. So just try and get as much experience as you can, and 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 don't take no for an answer, but be prepared to 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 take no because people will say no to your pitches or people say no to articles you want to write some will say yes but um but yeah it, it's hard work um people expect you to work for free or for virtually work for free at times and obviously that you know doesn't pay the bills um but then you also have to trade that off where you know, it, it, sometimes it's good to do stuff where, where you're not getting paid because it gives you a platform to speak or you might just yeah. be interested in the people who you want to talk with and, yeah. and it depends what you're doing. So I'd say don't, if you're doing something like writing, don't sell yourself for free. But if someone says, can you come on our podcast and chat, then don't expect to get paid because you won't get paid because, you know, we're just having a chat now. I'm not really doing any work as such. we just chatting about football. So um, you need to know where the line is between working and and, and chatting. Um, and and don't sell yourself, don't sell yourself cheap, and yeah, just keep going, and and you know, hopefully you'll get there. Thank
2: you. That's that's that's, that's brilliant advice. Um, obviously, it's the um, one year and one day anniversary of uh, Liverpool it is indeed, yes. six sixth European yeah. Cup. Um, yeah. I think literally this time last year, I was was I on the way back from Liverpool or. Yeah, I was, I was in, I was in Liverpool. Um, yeah, ten, 10 past eight. Um, <laughs> I think I was. So I got a
4: train. I got a train into the into the city from um, from where my dad lives, and then I couldn't get a train back because the queues were so big because yeah, everybody wants to go. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I
2: was coming up from. Um, I was coming up from Wolverhampton. Um, getting up fine, and then the the hordes of people trying to get back on trains um, was just absolutely it was absolutely madness. I, I thought, you know what. Be easy to get something to eat and then uh, go get, get on a train. But uh, That's what I
4: did. there's a there's a lovely Brazilian restaurant where they just bring meat round and carve it at your table. I took my lad in. We sat down. It was great. And I, and I said I can't believe we have got a table in here so quick. And because it, everywhere else was queuing out the door. And then when they brought the bill over, I knew why we have got a table so quick. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty expensive, but, but it was nice. And, and you know, obviously we'd had a great day, so I didn't care. But.
2: Um, but yeah, a yeah, year and a day. Yeah, it seems, I mean, it's, it's weird. Obviously, so much has changed. Um, Liverpool have, I mean, Liverpool had come off an amazing season from that final, gone to be even more of a juggernaut than they are now. So I just want to share everyone's uh, kind of, uh, best, best memories from that game, more than anything. Um, so, so, Mark, let's start off with you. I can
1: see you smiling there in the corner. Um, so, <laughs> as I always say, I was in Madrid. Um, that was probably the best holiday of my life. <laughs> I didn't even know the parade was the next day, so I ended up meeting, I went solo, I was supposed to go with my boss from where I was working at the time, yep. and at the time he wasn't able to book the Monday off, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to book it, and then you can book it whenever you want after, he didn't end up booking, I ended up flying out in met a couple guys on a plane who were Liverpool fans, I was on a plane with completely Tottenham fans, I've got videos of them singing, and just having a blast which was annoying to hear, but it was good to be in that environment. You know, when you're just around football fans and just have good vibes, because there was no ill intentions towards them at all, at the time anyway. Um, And it was a really, really good, really, really good vibe where I was. I don't remember seeing the penalty incident. I was plastered by that time. I remember someone jumping on the table um, and he was already wearing a shirt that had six stars on it and he was already pointing to the stars. But... I feel like what I remember the most was Origi's goal. I think by that time, the we basically settled down a little bit more. There was a bit more anxiety. We weren't really chanting as much. And then the ball dropped to Origi in the club. So the pub where I was at went completely silent. He hit left foot and it went to the bottom corner. Then we went nuts. Like someone flipped the table. I don't even know where my drink went. <laughs> and after that, that was a blur. <laughs> I just remember waking up in some... Madrid square with Rufy Velar just blowing that away. And I can't always say in these finals, I'll never trade the moment. So I'll never take the 3-3 free free and do anything different. I'll never take the 1-3-2-0 no and do anything different. I love the way it played out. There's some massive moments in that
2: game as well. Um, just just watched it last night. I think it goes under the radar, Virgil van Dijk's man the match performance for a start. Um, Alisson as, as well, to be honest. Alison yeah, Alisson was brilliant. 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 That save I mean, he made I mean, off um, Ericsson's free kick. Yeah, in yeah. quick succession.: mm-hmm. Just, just insane. I think it's it's a weird one as well. It's like I've never. I think it's just the typical Liverpool fan in me. I've never been so confident for a, a final, where I was like, "We're definitely going to win," especially yeah. coming after the heartbreak of the previous year. I don't know yeah. what it was. <laughs> I don't know what it
1: was. It was just something. Blim- for me personally, I think it's because it was Tottenham. It's, yeah, it's 100%. obviously. I feel like. I, and I always say this to people I feel like I, it could have beat them. I feel like they play a different style of football that would have been more of a challenge to us. But we know how Tottenham play. We play them year in, year out. And they brought in Harry Kane. <laughs> they could have kept him on the bench. They'll play really, really well without him. And I feel like that disrupted a lot of their rhythm. So as soon as I saw Harry Kane playing, I was like, yeah. Match is done. Obviously, the anxiety was still there throughout. And oh, yeah, you're yeah. a Liverpool fan, you know you panic anytime someone gets close to goal. But now that we have Alisson being so assured and we have Virgil at the back, we have so many pieces of the puzzle now. I feel like that settled my nerves a little bit more. <laughs> and I won't... I'll be completely honest. The drink helped a lot. <laughs> I was blasted. The drink helped a lot. Yeah, my is,
2: favorite, my my favorite part of yeah. that, uh, the whole Champions League at the end, was essentially Divock Origi turning to the Undertaker.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have a question for for you, Chris. So for mm. for me, um, for, for you know, the Champions League win represents quite a bit for, for each fan. Um, I wanted to find out for you what this this particular win, um, what that meant to you um, as a fan, and I know you've been a, a fan for God knows how long, but I think I'm not that old. <laughs> I think um, it's 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 been a while since we've had anything to um, to be happy about. But I just wanted to kind of you know get your thoughts on what that um, that final win, what that actually meant to you and, and, and your family. So. Uh,
4: yeah, so it was it was a relief. So I'd been to the last three European finals. Um, I didn't go, I didn't go to Dortmund in two thousand one because I was working. Um, I didn't go to Istanbul in two thousand five because I was working. But the three after, I went and we lost them all. Um, And I remember when we got through to the final, after we beat Barcelona. So I worked every game um, in a Champions League for both those seasons. Um, And once we beat Barcelona, and my mate sent me a text message and he said, I won't say the exact word because the podcast will be explicit, but it was uh, (laughs) stay at home, you see, you're not coming with us this time um so 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 that was it so i stayed at home um and i went and and met up with some other friends and some school friends and and we had a barbecue and i was there with my son which was great and my wife and my daughter um but it was relief for me um i remember once salah scored the penalty like that you that made me more nervous than anything because I'd seen Liverpool, especially after Sturridge. I'll take this to my grave. Daniel Sturridge's goal against Basel was, I was right behind it. I saw the curl go round and I saw the curl go in. And it's one of the best goals I've ever seen in life. And I knew when that ball hit the net, I thought we were going to win. And when Salah scored, I thought, not again, I can't take this again. (laughs) So when the ball came to Origi and he finished it, Um, the house I was in went mad, my son went mad, Uh, my friends went mad, my friend's wives went mad, Uh, his mum and dad were there in the 70s, they went mad, I was just like relieved, I was probably the calmest I've ever been because for me it was like the end of a journey that I'd I'd seen end badly so many times Um, and I think, think it was until the next day that I was like went to the parade, I was really like like emotional and, and really, really happy about it. Um, but yeah, and I think I can look back now and I can watch it and yeah, when Mattip's flick lands to Origi and uh, for me, it's his celebration. Uh, um, he's he's like, he celebrates like I would if I knocked a ball past him hey, in the so garden.
3: He, you just, he just so calm. He's like, yeah. Right. He's just
4: like that. <laughs> he's just like arms <laughs> like, He's literally won the Champions League for Liverpool in like the dying minutes. You so know. Cold. My, dad, my shirt will come off, my shorts will come off, my boots in the stadium. Yeah, but he just strokes it home. And I think that's like, there's probably, I think, any, it had to be him to score that goal for his performance yeah. against Barcelona yeah. and for what he'd done, especially against Newcastle in that late game, that yeah. late goal against Newcastle as well. Um, I think it was fitting for him um, to do that because. I mean, we talk about you talked about the German relegation. It was only eighteen months before that that I watched Divock Origi playing a relegation playoff in Germany for Wolfsburg, and then for me to watch him score a winning goal in a Champions League final, I think that was brilliant for him. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's that celebration that, uh, that that I like to see, and I love seeing it now. And 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 yeah, the day after was very special, but at full time, it was just relief. Um, yeah. that, like thank Christ we haven't.
1: <laughs> you know, and thank Christ we've won a trophy as well yeah, um, yeah. I feel yeah. like it's so nice for so many rhetorics to culminate in that win so the Divock Origi story that you just mentioned the fact that Klopp was always regarded as a nearly man the fact that we were always regarded as that nearly club for us to win in such a fashion especially after Barcelona win was just really really nice to see
4: yeah, it was. And I think that wonderful video that the club did of him six minutes after you know, the final whistle, where they just keep the camera running for six minutes. I yeah. think you can, because for him, not only did he lose the Champions League the season before, but he lost the one against Bayern Munich in wow. Wembley yeah. as well. So yeah. you know, it's almost like a competition that was a millstone around his neck. So for him to get rid of that. And I think it really it showed everybody in that Liverpool team that the nearly the season under Brendan Rodgers had gone. Liverpool had actually won a trophy that, you know, was worth winning. Not that the FA Cup or the Europa League wouldn't have been worth winning. Trophy's a trophy. But the Champions League and the league of your own domestic, um, you know, your league champions, your own domestic um, tier, are are the two things that you want to win. So Liverpool won that. And uh, I think it took a weight off their shoulders. And I think we saw, you know, when the season started, how that win kicked them on. And they all of a sudden thought they were invincible, you know, and they almost were invincible, apart from one bad night in in, in Watford. Um, but, but yeah, it, I think we'll look back on that night as as like, if you say the rebirth of the club, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I think it could be. You know that 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 big momentous win that then pushed Liverpool on to win. Not only did they win that, they went and won the Super Cup. Arguably, twelve months before, we might have lost that to Chelsea. Um, you know, then won the um, Intercontinental Cup or FIFA World Club Cup as well. As it's Liverpool just starting winning all the trophies that they're in, in four at full strength. So, hopefully, when the Premier League comes, I mean, I won't care. I was what 11 the last time Liverpool last won the league, and 42 this year. So, I couldn't care if it's won in in a stadium with no fans in it. I've got, I've already got my Amazon order of smoke bombs and flares for the house. So, hey. when, when, it come, when it comes, when <laughs> it comes, it um, comes. So, so yeah, it, it's going to be a nice moment. I mean, as long as the football does come back. Um, I would hate Liverpool to win it on points per game um, because you know people would say you didn't really win it. Well, we did because uh, opposition fans have to make their mind up. They were telling me in January Liverpool had won the league, so you can't say in in June that oh no, you didn't really win the league. Well, it's not what you were saying six months ago. So, um, but it'll be nice, and then it'll be then we'll get greedy. Well, we then it'll be oh we've only won the league and Champions League. Why haven't we won the FA Cup yet? But that's just part of being a football fan. <laughs>
2: No, I I completely agree. Um, it was such a great day. It was such a, such a good occasion to see all the hard work that the players have put in for that season and the heartbreak of the previous season kind of accumulating that tangible that tangible moment that they can have for the rest of their lives. Um, I mean, you saw you saw how much it meant to James Milner and how much Klopp had instilled the the, the, the six thing. I mean, for me, the sixth thing didn't really mean much, but you saw how much it meant to them on a on a personal individual level.
4: Yeah and and I think you know you saw Jordan Henderson go to his dad and start crying yeah. because yeah you know he will he have dreamt I mean I genuinely thought Liverpool would batter Real Madrid in that final I was in Kiev for the final myself it took me 3 days to get there including a you know 18 hour train journey from Warsaw wow. to Kiev yeah, it was yeah I was going to horrendous...
2: say, I was gonna say how, how, how how did you manage that journey because I remember the Anfield rap boys they took a they took a bus didn't they um, yeah so, various
4: places. So, so Matt Ladson, who, um, who owns This Is Anfield, um, he said, do you want to come <laughs> to Kiev? I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, we're going to do it a little bit of a mad way so we can do a feature on it. I was like, okay, what are we doing? He's like, well, we're going to fly to Warsaw. I was like, this is in Poland. He's like, yeah. And then we're going to get the overnight train to Kiev. I was like, gosh, sleep." Mm-hmm. But it ended up being an adventure. It was full of scouts, as um, this train was. The poor train guard didn't know what hit him. Because as soon as the train started, everyone was <laughs> drinking and cheering. Um, but the train was—I mean, I looked out the window, and there was a fella going past on a moped. That's how slow the train was; it just took forever to get there. Um, but but then to get to that stadium and you know the the party in Shevchenko Park beforehand was just one of the best things I've ever experienced as a Liverpool fan. Um, there was a lot. Of, I was quite worried about going to Kiev because of, you know the hooligan problems that they have in parts of Eastern Europe, but. On the day the final itself, it was one of the nicest cities I've ever been to, and I got into the ground and I was like, "We're going to absolutely batter these four, five nil because of the way we play." And and I think Madrid had bricked it, Um, but the minute Ramos fouls Salah and he goes off, I think I I was like, "Oh God!" And I think everybody knew that as well, even though Mane gets that goal at the end. That I was at at the Liverpool end, um, you know what what happened after. It was just great to see. Liverpool finally you know win that competition 12 months later and I think it showed um like a mental resolve that very few clubs have I mean there's not that many teams who've done it who've gone on and and been beaten and then gone and won it this season after you know Bayern Munich have done it um there's a lot of sides that haven't done it and they've got sides like Valencia who went to -to back-to-back finals and and didn't make it Juventus have done something similar as well so so to, to lose and then to go on and win it the next season shows a great
2: mindset and you know I'm glad it's Liverpool. No, I completely agree. Um, we've got a few listeners' questions for you, Chris. If you wouldn't mind yeah. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, a, you a few. Uh, this one comes from um, co-host of the pod Fahi. So he has. Jesus. Oh yeah, so
4: I should. I hope he's um all right. He's not well, is he? So been speaking to him all week, and now he's not well. So I, I get better <laughs> soon. I hope he's better soon.
2: He dropped me a voice note earlier on. He was sounding a bit nasally, but um, I think it's just a uh, hay fever pushed him a bit of a bit of a for a bit of a loop. But um, yeah, hopefully he gets get get better soon, Fahi. you know, yeah, <laughs> um, so he wants to know your thoughts on Marco Grudic uh, that we covered a little bit earlier, and obviously um we have a Nigerian striker on loan at might, Taiwo mm. Um, So how have they performed this season and predictions on where their futures lie past the summer?
4: Yeah, Gruwich, I think we pretty much discussed earlier. I think the Liverpool he joined isn't the Liverpool he, he, he's at now, so that's going to be a difficult one for him. But Oluwani is a really exciting player. Um, he came on the other week and scored. Yeah. Um, and then and he came on, in, as I co-commentated, a game for bundesliga World Feed. Um, Mainz against Leipzig, where Leipzig were great, but he got an appearance um, for Mainz and came on, and he looked really energetic and he looked hungry when he came on. Um, it's a challenge for young players to, I mean, especially a young forward, because, you know, I wouldn't fancy being a young forward at Liverpool, because look at who you've got to try and displace. It's, you know, it's a, it's a gargantuan task. Um, I would probably think that another couple of seasons on loan, because he's only so young, and then. You know, if he, if he's good enough to make that grade at Liverpool, he'll get that opportunity under a coach like Jurgen Klopp. He just needs to prove himself in a league which is competitive, and he's at a club that Klopp knows well. Mainz. he knows that they look after young players, so yeah, he's perfectly positioned to come back to Liverpool at some point um, and try and kick on.
2: For those of us who, uh, for those of us uh, much like ourselves who might not do lone watch in terms of players going out, uh, in terms of player profile, who would you kind of compare him to?
4: I think it'd be difficult because he is such an individual player. He's very fast on the ball. He's got good feet. Um, he reads the game very well. So, if you see his goal he scored, he was able to analyse where the ball was going to come in and pull off to defend his shoulders. So, for me to say, oh, he plays a bit like Mane or he plays a bit like Firmino, I think would be unfair on him. Just that he's an exciting attacking player. Um, and he's only young, so I wouldn't like to give him a label anyway. He just plays the way he plays. Um, and hopefully, it will be a good fit at some time. But you know, he probably... Sort of similar to a Curtis Jones, just a, a young, exciting player who who seems to have no fear.
2: That's actually who my next question, who the next question is about. Um, so this is from Greg. He see, he says with Adam Lalana. Sorry, my,
4: my 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 dog's come to see me. Go on out. Go on
0: out.
2: Yeah, go on. Sorry. No, not a problem. Um, so we've Adam Lalana seemingly moving on to Leicester in this uh, in, in the summer. Um, that's been reported. Uh, do you see Curtis Jones as the mainstay to kind of step up and take his minutes for next season?
4: Um, well, I'd hope he gets a little bit more minutes than Adam Lalana. Um, but <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, Curtis Jones is, is an exciting talent. Obviously, he's a local lad. I think that helps as well um, because Klopps you know, hes very much into bringing young players that know the identity of the club, be that Trent Alexander Arnold or Curtis Jones. So. Um, and he looks a very grounded individual. That coconut water advert he came across is quite funny, um, <laughs> you know, with with him going on about his goal. But yeah, they expect him to get more minutes. Um, and I think this is why Liverpool not need to take the cup seriously, um, but they need to be able to give the likes of Curtis Jones time um, and game time and that. And and it's a bit of a trade-off because you're not going to win a competition with with your second team, but you need to be able to give them you know, a guaranteed chance. So I'm hoping he gets more minutes in a couple of Premier League games. You know, if Liverpool win the league early doors in, in when the football comes back, I'd hope that he gets quite a lot of games in the, you know, the, the ones that are left. Um, if Arsenal can do Liverpool a favour and then Liverpool can win it against Everton, I'd like to see some of these young lads get their chance in the games that are remaining.
2: I completely agree. Just with that that Everton game, obviously I know there's been the talk about neutral venues. Do you you see that game possibly being played at Goodison?
4: Um, Well, yeah, I I can't see why it shouldn't be played at Goodison. Um, You know, I think football fans get a bad... I think they get a bad rep. And I think, unfortunately, there's, you know, areas within the police that still think it's 1970, 1980, when, you know, there was a problem... Um, Football fans are regular, everyday people. They're you, they're me. They're people who work in a supermarket. They're doctors, they're lawyers. You know, They're people who are looking for work. They're people who've got work. It's not one particular type of player, uh, one particular type of person. If you're a football fan, you, you, know, you probably work in a shop or you know, you're just a normal member of society. So to say that everyone's going to turn up at the ground unannounced and want to get in and, and be an arse about it, I, I don't think you can say that. Um, People will try and do that, but they're the same people that went to the beach the other day. They're the same people that have been going in and out of other people's houses that, You know, as this has been going on. There'll be people who will do what they want, and that's not because they're a football fan. It's because they're a human
2: being. Plenty agree. Um, this is a question from uh, Matty. He says, do you potentially see Divock Arigi or George Jakiri being used in a team of Werner deal? Uh, in terms of uh, you know, we, we've swapped potentially be on the table, uh, especially when the club's when the finances are a worry for the club.
4: Um, no, I don't see either of them two being used because they don't fit the Leipzig style. So, whilst I do like Divock Origi, um, he wouldn't fit um, he wouldn't fit RB Leipzig, and he certainly wouldn't be a replacement for Timo Werner. Um, he had a little bit of a struggle when he was in Germany at Wolfsburg, probably because he played under three different head coaches because they had a similar time, similar poor time to what Hertha Berlin have had. So he did play under three different coaches, Origi. But he didn't set the world alight. And I think he's a really good impact player. I think what he did in the Champions League final, um, he does very well. What he did against Newcastle, obviously he came into that game against Barcelona and played wonderfully well because he had to. Um, So he's got that ability. But I don't think um, he fits Leipzig. um, And um, Shaqiri definitely isn't. Leipzig player who doesn't fit the right model. I think if if they were going to look for a swap deal, um, you know, for Nabi Keita, they had their eyes on Trent Alexander Arnold, so they know who's a good youth player. (laughs) So if Liverpool wanted Timo Werner, I wouldn't be, on his swap deal, I wouldn't be surprised to see Leipzig say someone like they want Curtis Jones or they want Brewster Mm. or they want Harvey Elliott or someone like that. And mm-hmm. I, if you ask Klopp, I don't think he prepared to let any of them three go like he wasn't prepared to let Trent Alexander-Arnold go.
1: Yeah, hands off the boys. All three of them are off. <laughs> don't hear anything from you lot.
4: Yeah, I mean, so I mean, let them go. You could let Curtis Jones go, but it would have to be some sort of deal like Manchester City have got with Borussia Dortmund. So any, any offer that comes in, we can match it. Um, mm-hmm. It'd have to be yeah. that
2: for me. I mean, there's a bit of a curious case around Jordan Jakir at the moment. Um, I don't know if it's down to injuries or just him being completely out of favour uh, at the club. Do you, do you see him moving on for good if the right offer comes in this summer?
4: Yeah, I do. Um, you might have noticed that he all of a sudden got quite a lot of hair. Um, so I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, I think it's quite well known that he had a hair transplant. Um, I don't think that went down well with the club. Not because they don't want people to have a hair transplant, but because of um, you know, it takes a while for your head to recover after that, and there's certain things you can't do like head of football, which is quite critical when you're a footballer. So um, I think Shaqiri's time might be up at Liverpool because I don't think he I don't think he had the availability to to go on and play. But he was very good in short bursts when he first arrived and he came on. Thought yep. he was pretty good, but um, I don't think he's at the level that Liverpool. Um, Need at the moment, and although you know he's another player that had a really good game against Barcelona, so um, you can't have you can't have fifteen Mohamed Salahs or sixteen Sadio Mane's there. You've got to have players of all different ability. But um, I, I could see Shaqiri moving on in, in the summer, especially if if someone like Timo Werner comes in. And don't forget there's Minamino as well, who, who offers a little bit more than what Shaqiri does. So
2: you know, you've got players like that who are trying to find their place in the squad as well. No, I completely agree. I think that's a, I think a good, good stopping point for us to to, to wrap up. I, oh, sorry. I just got a text from my mate Kev, who's a Wolves fan. And he says, uh, would, uh, would Rishika be a good fit there?
4: Um, <laughs> yeah, he would. I'd like to see um, um, Traore at Liverpool. I think he's a wonderful player. You know, yeah, real, sure, yeah. real powerful asset. Um, and I think he, he's a lad that enjoys playing football. I think he'd fit Liverpool's system. Could imagine seeing see him on the left or right just tearing the way he does. I mean, his build, he shouldn't be as fast as he is. <laughs> but he is, and I, I, he's a really exciting player. And um, so, if you mate from Wolves wants to let us have him,
2: he, yeah, he can
4: have you can have Rashica if he wants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll let him know. I think he's very precious over. He's precious over two players: Adama Traore and um, Raúl Jiménez. Yeah, Mr. yeah, I mean, uh,
4: they're, Yeah, they're the two best players they've got. Yeah. I think, so I'm <laughs> not
2: surprised. <laughs> Which makes sense, Chris. Um, is there anything you, you want to plug writing wise, uh, presenting wise, um, that might be coming up? Um, no, not
4: really. Just like, yeah, just no. Um, pretty, pretty much the back end of the season. Um, if you want to hear my overinflated opinions, then yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter. Or you want to see pictures of my dogs, feel free to follow me on Twitter. But that's where my writing will be.
2: I think we, we all, we all have a good, uh, we all have a good, a good dog shot on here. So that's a, that's good. Uh, boys, thank you so much for um, for joining me this week on uh, this week's episode of Coffee and Fracas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PopN4FS and be sure to keep it with the wider conversation using the hashtag, hashtag TouchlineForAccess. <laughs> come all of us here, um, have a great week, stay safe, and we will see you next week. Oh, Peace.